This church has been blessed with a great heritage of many pastors who, in my opinion, have uh, really set the bar for our denomination. Uh, we've been blessed with some great leaders, and uh, today we're going to celebrate two of those leaders, and as we do, uh, part of the reason we want to celebrate them is simply the fact that they have been so faithful for so long. Uh, as one who was a youth pastor for about 10 years, uh, it is amazing to me how much changed during the time that I was a youth pastor. Many of the things that I did back then simply would not work today. Uh, children's ministry is very similar to that. There are things that, uh, things do change, the way we do things. I remember when, uh, when I first got started, the internet really wasn't even something that we worried with. Uh, today, if you're a youth pastor, you have to connect with your kids through all forms of media. Uh, amazing stuff. What I discovered is I'm not very good with change for me. Um, but I also discovered that if you love kids enough, you will always be effective with them. No matter what style you use, your love translates to every generation. And today we want to celebrate two individuals who for 22 years of ministry have loved on the children of Trinity Wesleyan Church. Actually, before we say anything else about them, if you have been under the ministry of Dale and Cheryl Link, or your children have been under the ministry of Dale and Cheryl Link, would you just stand up real quick? We are incredibly grateful for the years of love that you have poured into the kids, and I, as one who has... My son just adores you. I cannot say thank you enough for your faithfulness to the ministry of these kids. So thank you so much. I will tell you, we're going to do a couple things. Uh, first of all, we have a, a plaque that the board has uh, gotten together. It simply says, an appreciation for 22 years of faithful service to the children of Trinity Wesleyan Church, Pastor Dale and Cheryl Link. February 5th, 2017. So first of all, that's for you guys. And you can hang it on your wall, probably right above your fireplace and all that stuff. So, <laughs> um, We also have a card for you. Now, I'm going to tell you, I left the gift cards that's supposed to be inside it in my truck. So I'll do that this afternoon <laughs> when I'm at your small group. Uh, but that'll be there for you as well. And then uh, someone came up with a great idea to be able to honor you guys and to celebrate your ministry. That is, uh, we send children to children's camp every year, and uh, the church decided to do a scholarship fund, basically, uh, so it can be replenished every year, and you guys can donate toward it to send children to camp every year in the name of Pastor Dale and Cheryl Link. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you. Thank you. I, most of the time I'm left, um, I have something to say, but in times like this, I'm not sure if I have the right words. Uh, first of all, just thank you for letting us serve the children of Trinity Wesleyan Church. I don't know if you've kept up with our annual reports, but that's how we closed every annual report. Thank you for letting us serve. 
Um, Pastor Wiggins, we kind of go back to that time. Um, it says 22 years here. If you count the three years that I was in college up here at Southern Wesleyan, uh, I put this at 25 because I remember we went to Brother Wiggins and said, listen, we've got to have something for these kids. And uh, we, we started something with my sister-in-law and my brother and Diane Owen and Barbara Woody. I'm trying to remember who all was involved in that. But we did. We got it started back then. And God blessed us. And it's just been a continuation. Um, I was teasing Brother Wiggins this morning and said, I don't know if you ever really forgave me for taking your piano player away from you. He said, that's okay. We got him back and had to wait a few years, but we came back. So it was good. Uh, but yes, thank you very much. And we love our kids. And as several of you have said that, oh, we've been praying for you. I want you to please continue those prayers, but redirect them to Aaron. Uh, Redwine, I, I do believe he's excited about what he's doing. And I've watched him working and, and I think we've... We've got a good one that's going to be working with our kids. So continue to embrace him too. All right, I was reading on Facebook this week that um, apparently we should celebrate as much in the Sunday morning service as we do at the Super Bowl. And I think it said something about someone pouring Gatorade over the pastor's head this Sunday just to celebrate like you would at the game. I want you to know I've already checked behind these walls for Gatorade buckets, so I think we're okay. So... Uh, it is a blessing to be able to be able to dig into God's Word with you guys today, and uh, we're going to do that in just a moment. Actually, I'd like for us to, uh, just before I start the message, just to pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that you do for us. I pray today that as we dig into your Word, that you would apply it to our hearts, that this would be more than just a passage of Scripture that we might commit to memory, but rather these would be words that might apply to our lives moving forward. Speak to us now, in Christ's name we pray, amen. There's a place called Fairweather Mountain. It's one of the most spectacular mountains in North America. It's actually located off the southeast coast of Alaska. Uh, the mountains reach about 15,000 feet above sea level. Uh, my mom was, uh, several years ago, was given the opportunity to take a cruise where they went up and she was able to actually see this. There are massive granite walls with deep ravines that cut by cascading glaciers, creating an inspiring view. This view, however, can only be seen for about 20 days per year when the weather is perfect. The mountain is called fair weather because you can only see the full glory and beauty of the mountain when the fog clears. Author John Eldridge uses Fairweather Mountain as an illustration to describe how most people live their lives. Let me share with you what he said. 20 days a year, that sounds like my life. I think I see what's really going on about that often. The rest of the time, it feels like fog. I'd love to wake up each morning knowing exactly who I am and where God is taking me. Zeroed in on all my relationships, undaunted in my calling. It's awesome when I do see. But for most of us, life is more like driving with a dirty windshield. I can make out the shapes ahead, and I think the light is green. 
The description of the Christian life shouted in the New Testament compared with the actual experience is embarrassing. We look like little foolish children who have been held back a grade. His idea here, his statement is that for so long we have walked around in a fog, not really able to see all that God would have for us. Much of our confusion results from a failure to understand the truth proclaimed in Proverbs chapter 4, which is what we're going to look at this morning, and other, other scriptures that describe the significance of the heart. In this brief passage, the wise King Solomon identifies four principles of guarding our hearts. And I want us to read the passage together. I will tell you that I think that the words of the scriptures will be on the screen behind me because this is what I'm going to read to you comes from the New Living Translation. Usually I read from the NIV. This is what it says. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. There was a mother who was driving with her three young children on one summer evening when a lady in the convertible in front of her stood up and began to wave. She was completely naked. The mother is shocked by what is taking place and suddenly she hears the voice of her five-year-old very aware of what's going on around him and he says, Mom, she's not wearing her seatbelt. It is important for us to be able to recognize the things that are important, the treasure that God has given to us. Two phrases jump off the page when reading this passage. First of all, above all else. And then the second one is the course of your life. And I will tell you that they go closely together. To experience the fullness of our faith and partake of the blessings of God, we must recognize the treasure of the heart. We must see what truly does matter. Above all else communicates a priority. And of course, where, where it talks about the course of your life, it's translated as the wellspring of life in the New King James Version. It communicates a glorious promise. There is something worth living for. There's something to look forward to. It's a hope. It's direction. The text identifies guarding your heart as being more important than anything else. To the Christian community that cherishes the doctrine of self-denial as one of the key aspects of following Christ, guarding your heart almost appears to be a contradiction of sorts. We expect to take up our cross, not to take care of our heart. But I am convinced that Proverbs 4, specifically verses 23 through 27, contains another great paradox of Christian living for us. Could it be that we can only die to self when we truly guard our hearts? 
Jesus declares that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When describing the kingdom of God, Jesus revealed that the things that come out of the heart, they can defile a man. He also taught that where our treasure is, there our heart would be also. The apostle Paul prayed for the saints that the eyes of the heart might be enlightened. And we find similar instruction in the Old Testament where we are commanded to trust the Lord with all of our heart and to hide God's word in our heart. The prophet Samuel revealed that God does not evaluate people by what's on the outside, by their outward appearance, but rather he looks inside at the heart. And perhaps the most significant verse describing the treasure of the heart is found in Romans 10.9, which says that a person may be saved by believing in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The heart is the central, most important aspect of who we are. The heart is a mysterious spiritual reality that allows us to experience the fullness of life. It includes emotion, but the heart is about much more than just emotion. According to scripture, the heart can be grieved, troubled, broken. It can be pierced, divided, or it can be joyful. Dr. Charles Ryrie defined the heart as the very core of life. Our heart is the truest expression of who we are. We must do some things, though, if we are to truly benefit from the heart that God has given us. The first thing that I will point out to you is we must prioritize the task. Having identified the biblical mandate for us to recognize the treasure of the heart, we must prioritize the task of guarding that heart. If I asked any church to identify the top Christian disciplines how do you think guarding your heart would rank? Actually, more than likely, it does not even show up on our list. We would expect things like worship and prayer and Bible study and evangelism to show up. And all of those are really good answers. But nowhere in there do we think about guarding our hearts. However, it strikes me as odd that the command to guard our heart rarely, if ever, receives the priority that the scriptures attach to the heart. As mentioned previously, we find the instruction to guard our heart unfamiliar because of an abundance of teaching on denying oneself to follow Christ. Often we make the false assumption that taking care of the heart is a selfish thing, as if we do this, that means maybe we're going to cheat God. Most of us could testify to an experience where someone used the lame excuse of selfishness to justify an ungodly decision. For example, a man says he is leaving his wife and deserting his children because he says, God wants me to be happy. I had a man use that exact phrase with me several years ago at my previous church as he walked out on his wife and three children. Do you really believe God wanted him to be happy at the sacrifice of his children and his wife? We must understand that guarding your heart is not selfishness, as was exampled there, or irresponsibility. The unbalanced emphasis on certain aspects of our faith has contributed to the neglect of guarding our heart. But we must be careful not to forfeit the treasures of the heart. 
because of selfish abuses. We need to make sure that we guard the heart that God has given us. One of the factors that has prevented the saints from making the matters of the heart a priority is the limitation in guarding our hearts toward purity. Striving for moral purity is an admirable and necessary part of following Christ. We must consider protecting the heart from the the trash that comes into our lives. We'll look at that a little bit more in just a moment. But there are so many things that can get in and it can spoil the heart. It can destroy what God has put in place. But guarding the heart is more than just protection. It also includes pursuing and providing. A Reader's Digest article offered an amusing analysis of some of the dieting trends that affect our culture. It said this, the Japanese eat little fat and suffer fewer heart problems than Americans or the British. The French eat a lot of fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the U.S. or Britain. The Italians drink a lot of red wine and have a lower risk of heart problems than their Western neighbors. What can we conclude from these facts? You can eat whatever you want, but speaking English will kill you. (laughs) Guarding your heart is more about feeding your soul than avoiding sin. It's not just you choosing not to sin. There's nothing wrong with avoiding sin. But for far too long, we have instructed people to flee from sin, but we have failed to define what they should instead run to, which is Jesus Christ. Who cares if you never pick up a drink again if you do not find fulfillment in Jesus Christ? Who cares if you never commit sexual immorality again if you never find a relationship with Jesus Christ? The point is not just avoiding the sin, but finding what truly gives value to life. And that is Jesus Christ. When our heart is strong, we are able to resist the temptations that cause many people to stumble. The book of Proverbs identifies some things to avoid, but it also contains numerous instructions to pursue wisdom, grace, discipline, and life. It's not just about avoiding. We must truly pursue Christ. The next thing that I want you to recognize is as we truly take care of the heart, we also must minimize the trash. I referenced it earlier. Guarding our heart includes seeking God, but we cannot ignore the instruction to minimize the trash that often works into our lives. The verses that follow the command to guard your heart describe putting away certain things like perverse speech looking straight ahead, and choosing good paths. These verses are similar to the New Testament challenges found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Go back to the middle verse there. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. Both of these passages in Proverbs chapter 4 and in Hebrews chapter 12 reveal the need to remove certain things 
from our lives so that we can truly run this race. The trap of legalism often ensnares those who make removal the goal of their faith instead of removing sin for the purpose of going forward in faith. If the only thing you do is seek to get rid of the sin, you become legalistic. But rather, we find true purpose in the one that we pursue, which is Jesus Christ. Some trash is easy to identify. Moral corruption, perverse behavior, evil acts that harm others. They stand in bold opposition to God's will and his word as he desires for our lives. But there are are other types of trash that are more difficult for us to discern and often to remove. A lack of faith, unwillingness to forgive, materialism, pride, sometimes even a false belief system. They can stop the flow of a wellspring of life, basically the life that God has for us. Trash, big or small, is still trash, though. We look at certain things and we say, well, that stands in contrast to God's word, so we know we're not going to do that. But all those other things that I just mentioned that often we have justified in our lives, they still stand in contrast to God's word, which means that they don't belong in our lives. We need to be intentional to cut out the trash of our lives and instead to find fulfillment in Christ. The next thing that I'll point out to you is this. We must, a fourth strategy for guarding your heart is to energize with truth. Note the instruction that's given in verse 20. Pay attention and listen closely. Now, when you see a phrase like that in scripture, you probably should stop whatever you're doing. You need to maybe go back to the beginning of the verse and make sure you caught everything. Pay attention, listen closely. Everything's worth reading that we find in scripture. But this is kind of the point that he's making here. You don't want to miss this. You might have missed one or two other things. You need to pay attention. You need to listen closely. This emphasis to give careful attention to divine truth is followed by the promise of life and health. We need truth. Jesus said that truth would set us free. Solomon exhorts his son to discern and hold the instruction, the truth, close to his heart. You know, we live in a world that is often opposed to truth. Our culture promotes tolerance over truth. But the wise king reminds us that there is a difference between right and wrong, good and bad, righteousness and evil. Level paths that have a solid foundation will lead to success. I don't want to mislead you. My goal here is not to make you think that if you live for God that you're going to become a millionaire. If it happens, awesome. I am so looking forward to you guys tithing next Sunday. I am not promising you that if you choose to follow Christ with all of your heart that you will be the wealthiest or the best, most successful person in the world. But I do believe very firmly that if we have a foundation that is solid, that there is something worth blessing. And God's word clearly defines that. We are told over and over again that if we seek God, he will bless. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
And then all of these other things will be added unto you. The key there is to seek God first. And it's not about the success that follows. It's about the foundation that must exist for every single one of us. We need a foundation that is based on Jesus Christ. But as we do, and it's a great truth, as we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, there is a promise of success. But the evil and unstable choices, they often lead to destruction. Probably one of the most familiar uh, New Testament stories is Jesus talking about where the wise man built his house and where the foolish man built his house. We know that the foolish man built it on the sand and when the rains came, the house went crumbling to the ground. Why? Because there was no foundation. No firm foundation. The wise man built his house on the rock and when the rains came... The house stood firm. Why? Because it had a good foundation. Let me ask you real quick. How is your foundation today? Do you have a foundation that will allow your house to stand when the storms come? Because to tell you the truth, it's easy for your house to stand when everything's going great in your life. But will your house be able to stand when the storms come? When the doctor gives you a bad report? When someone else betrays you, when you lose your job, how is your foundation when the storms of this life come? I will tell you the only foundation that will allow you to stand is one that is solely based on the presence of Jesus Christ and the depth of Jesus Christ in your life. It is incredibly important for us to recognize we cannot do this alone. And if we try, you will have to experience it yourself, but you are destined for defeat. But God desires for you to truly be blessed, but you can't do it without that foundation. We must also appreciate the difference between facts and truth. It is not enough just to know the facts about the Bible. Facts provide information, but truth produces transformation. Through application of keeping the truth in your heart, which is what our passage tells us, we advance in the journey of faith instead of swerving off course. Most individuals who would identify themselves as Christians, which by the way is actually most everybody in the United States. You have people who they've never been to church in their lives, but if you ask them what faith they are, they'll tell you they're Christian. There are individuals who haven't been to church since they were five years old, but if you ask them what faith they are, they will tell you they are Christian. And often, the root of that is they have some fact knowledge of Christianity, some experience with it. Most individuals who would identify themselves as Christians, they know the facts of the faith. They know about the death of or the burial, or the resurrection of Christ. They know about prayer. They know about witnessing. But few pray to know the Lord and the power of the resurrection in an effort to share Christ more effectively. As Paul stated, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Far too many people on the outside of the church think that everything's okay because they know the facts about Christianity, the facts of faith, but they don't know the truth. Now, here's the thing. It's easy for me to say that about the ones who are outside of the church. 
Could I also say the same thing about many who are inside the church? Is it possible that many people who go through the ritual of coming to church every Sunday, many people who maybe even have somewhat of a regular prayer life. They pray in the morning when they get up. They pray at their mealtime. They pray when they go to bed at night. Is it possible that even amongst this group of people, that some of us might be very familiar with the facts of the faith, but we have yet to truly allow the Spirit of God to come upon us so that it transforms from facts to truth, so that our lives could be transformed as well. Too many believers treat knowing Christ as a simple fact instead of a transforming truth. Consider the difference between the following definitions of a kiss to help demonstrate this. A clinical definition is the pressing of two mandibles together resulting in the exchange of saliva. All right, so we know what the clinical definition is. Now listen to the definition of a kiss in a song by Faith Hill entitled This Kiss. The chorus of the song says, it's the way you love me. It's a feeling like this. It's centrifugal motion. It's perpetual bliss. It's that pivotal moment. It's, I'm not doing the ah, but there's an ah there. It's impossible. This kiss, this kiss unstoppable, this kiss, this kiss. Now, both of them are describing the same thing. I know I didn't read that with great emotion. But I want you to recognize that although they are describing the same thing, what they are describing seems very different. One is a factual definition of a kiss. And one is said with feeling and emotion. And it has come alive. Let me tell you that your faith must also come alive. You cannot be satisfied with just the facts of your faith, but rather you must know the truth of your faith. It must be something that can transform us. Guarding your heart involves energizing your life with the transforming truth of God and his love and his word for us. Never treat the scripture as just a collection of facts. Instead, pay attention and listen closely because God's word is alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. The prophet Jeremiah described God's word as a fire that burns in a man's soul and a hammer that shatters a rock to pieces. That is far more than just some factual knowledge. That is something that is alive and has the power to change. That is the truth of God. Guarding your heart is, a critical, is critical to experiencing all that God desires in your life. When we recognize the treasure, when we prioritize the task, when we minimize the trash... And then we energize with truth. We place ourselves in a position to truly receive the blessings of God. Many of you are military buffs. And you guys probably know more about 
things like nuclear submarines than probably I could share. Nuclear submarines, however, consist of some of the most amazing technology on the planet. These incredible military vessels can stay underwater for 90 days at a time. I don't know about you, I would get claustrophobic over time. But every 90 days, the submarine must resurface to maintain proper alignment with the North Star. You see, while underwater, the submarine's navigational system is affected by the Earth's magnetic forces. Because these submarines carry missiles of mass destruction, they must pay close attention to keeping the navigational equipment aligned to the true reference point of the North Star. The nuclear submarine provides an excellent picture of our hearts. Just as the submarine may have enough physical provisions like food, water, or fuel to survive, it cannot perform at its highest level or complete its mission without maintaining proper alignment with the true reference point. In the case of a nuclear submarine, its reference point is the North Star. With us, it is Jesus Christ. Your heart is the navigational equipment of your life. And you must make sure that your heart remains perfectly in tune with the God who created that heart in the first place. Maybe some of you today, you have the knowledge, the facts of the faith. Maybe today what you need is to truly embrace the truth of our faith, which is the fact that Jesus Christ alone has the ability to transform our lives to give us purpose and to give us meaning. I will tell you this whole idea of guarding our hearts, it's an incredibly beautiful thing when God truly does give us a heart for him. When that takes place, you better guard that. Maybe for you, guarding that today means you've got to get rid of some of the trash in your life. Maybe you look and you know you've had things that they don't belong Maybe you're watching something on TV you're not supposed to watch. Maybe you spend time, I know social media is everybody's friend, but maybe you spend so much time on social media it now defines your theology. Maybe for you, the attitudes that you're displaying do not honor God. Maybe there's a selfishness that's present. Maybe there's a pride or an arrogance that destroy, is destroying you. I'm telling you, it's time to get rid of the trash. But as you do, instead of just getting rid of the trash, let's pursue Christ. What would happen if every morning when you woke up, you had this burning passion to know God more than you did the day before, to allow him more control than what he had yesterday? What would happen? I will guarantee you all of this trash will no longer have room in your life because what will happen is you'll be fixed on him and him alone. I don't know where you are today, but I do know that God desires for us to guard the heart. And a big part of guarding that heart is seeking after the one who can actually bless that heart. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, we know that in your word you call us over and over again to guard the heart. To make sure that our hearts are fixed on you. 
to make sure that all of the junk, all of the trash that so easily will work in just because we're surrounded by it in our daily lives to make sure that those things do not become stumbling blocks to us. So Lord, our desire today is not merely to say no to sin and temptation. Our desire today is to say yes to you. Lord, I pray today that you would receive our willing hearts. I pray that you would show us such grace where we have fallen short. I pray that you would forgive us. But that from this moment forward, we would truly walk as those who have our hearts and our eyes fixed on you. Lord, as we pursue you, help us to truly become a reflection of you. I pray for each individual who's in this room today. Maybe there's one who needs to surrender everything to you. I pray that you would minister to their hearts right now. Give them a peace that passes all understanding as they release the sin and the baggage that has weighed them down. I pray that in this moment they would sense your miraculous work in their lives so that no longer would they be enslaved by things of their past, but rather they would be set free to live for you. May you be honored in them. Lord, I pray that you would have your way. Maybe there are others today who, although we know you, there's still a lot of trash that's present. Help us, Lord, to walk away from that trash, never to pick it up again. Allow us to walk in victory and freedom. And I pray that as we do, Lord, that truly we would be ready when the day comes for your return. We thank you again for your grace. Minister to us as we go through this series on the heart. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I will tell you that today kicks off a series that the entire month of February is going to be dealing with the heart. I will also say that this probably isn't the way you would expect to start a series on the heart. Uh, especially in February, we think about the love relationship between a husband and wife. And certainly that will come into play. But I'll also say that your love relationship with God dictates every other relationship that you have in life. So this is where it has to begin. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Go in peace.